Good morning. You guys can uh, be seated. My name is Todd Kilmeyer and I serve as the pastor of student ministry here at FBC. Um, today we'll be reading scripture from Romans 16, verses 1 through 16. I commend to you our sister, Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epiphratus, uh, who was the first convert in Christ in Asia. Greet Maria, who worked hard for you, and Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. They are also, or they are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Uh, greet, uh, uh, sorry, and um, uh, Paphlidus, uh, my beloved uh, in the Lord. Greet Abernus, uh, uh, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved. Uh, Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphenia uh, and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Perseus, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Philagian, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are uh, with them. Greet Philogus, Ju uh, Julia, Neris, and her sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I won't tell you what Todd did to receive that as punishment. You show up late to staff meeting. You are reading Romans 16.1. Romans 16.1 through 16. The theme of the book of Romans is the gospel. Let's be reminded of that. The theme of the book of Romans is the gospel. And we're not taking a break from the gospel in this greeting. The theme of the book of the Romans is the book of Romans is the gospel and we're going to look at the gospel in the relationships Paul has with people as he's thinking about the ministry of the gospel in his life and in the world around him. The people he is spending time with are gospel kind of people and so the relationship they have with one another are gospel kinds of relationship. Letters back then are done different than letters today. Today, when you and I write a letter, we put our name at the beginning, or the other person's name at the beginning. I'm sorry, I get it backwards. Yeah, dear so-and-so. And at the end, we put our name, sincerely, begrudgingly, whatever it might be. You, you put 
you put your name. And some of you, I can see the younger people in the crowd, what are these letters of which you speak? <laughs> and some of you have been texting me for the last month. I've been responding to all my texts via mail. And so some of you think I'm ghosting you. I'm not. Just wait. It, it's coming. And my response is, it's very hard to draw emojis on an actual sheet of paper. Letters back then were done differently. You put your name at the beginning and the people you're greeting toward the end. And Paul does this in almost all of his letters. What's unique about the book of Romans is this is his longest greeting by far. He includes the most names of any of his books. And it's more than just a list of people he spends time with. This is him declaring to the people in the church in Rome, these are the relationships that have been fostered by Jesus himself. And it tells us a little bit about how the gospel is impacting the relationships he has with people. One pastor out of Nashville, a guy named Ray Ortland, says it this way. If a group of people have the gospel and relational safety and a lot of time, anybody can grow in Jesus in that environment. If you have the gospel and, the, and relational safety, the ability to be real with one another, and enough time, anyone can grow in that environment. What we see in these relationships that Paul has is the gospel and time and safety to be real with one another has resulted in gospel kind of people impacting the world uh, for the gospel. So I've really divided up into two. It's almost artificial, so I just want to disclose that. I've kind of organized our thoughts here. It really is at the end of day, the day a, a list of names, but I'm going to organize it under uh, two sort of operating points. So here it is. If you like outlines, here are your points for the day. Gospel kind of people, number one, stand shoulder to shoulder. And then in the second part of this list, we'll note that gospel kind of people work together. Gospel kind of people stand shoulder to shoulder and gospel kind of people work together. I want to start in a very strange place. Actually, in 1 Samuel 17, there's a story that you don't have to turn there. You know the story. You don't have it memorized. But it's the story of David and Goliath. Are you familiar with this story? I, I, I mean, I'll go through it if you're unfamiliar. So raise your hand if you've never heard it. Okay, that's what I figured. So what we need to understand, why are we in David and Goliath to start a list of names in Romans 16? Because I want us to recognize something about how we read the Bible so that we will read and understand this greeting appropriately. David, a young man, came out to see his brothers in the battlefield and Goliath was taunting the army of the Lord. For 40 days, he would come out and challenge a champion to fight. It was The idea was two champions would fight and whichever champion won was the winner of the battle. And this is what we discover down in 1 Samuel 17, 31. David decided he would fight Goliath. When the words of David were heard, they repeated them before King Saul, and King Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, Now let no man's heart fail him. Your servant will go out and fight with the Philistine. You know, I got an afternoon free. Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth. He has been a man of war from his youth. Was anything that King Saul said inaccurate about David or the Philistine? No. What was the one thing that was inaccurate when he said, you are not able to go out and fight. Of course he is able to go out and fight. 
why would that be the case? David said to Saul, your servant, that's me, used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. So, you know, whenever a lion would come by or a bear, where is he shepherding? <laughs> I don't understand. Anyway, I'm sorry. I got a weird brain. I would go and, and attack the animal and kill it and, and save the sheep. And, and if he arose against me, I would catch him by the beard and strike him and kill him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. The uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. Is David saying he's a tough hombre? No. He is saying he understands how shepherding works. God has been faithful to him to shepherd because that was his calling. And he knows God will continue to be faithful. His issue was not whether or not he was strong or not. His issue was he, know what God, he knows what God has been like. And he knows God will continue to be like that. And so this wouldn't be surprising to him, a lion, a bear, a, a gnat, or a giant Philistine. He's not worried about it because he knows what God is like. How do we know that's what David's attitude was? Because that's what he said. This is what he said. He will, the Philistine will be like the lion or the bear, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. So David goes out to face the Philistine, not because he has a good strategy, not because he has five smooth stones, he's really good at slinging them. He goes out because he knows the Lord has been faithful, and so the Lord will be faithful. Why is this important? Who is the champion of the story of David and Goliath? The covenant-keeping God. God could have saved Israel from the Philistines with a bad head cold. He could have saved Israel from the Philistines with a goat. He could have saved Israel from the Philistines with anybody. David had nothing to do with it other than he was the one who recognized the hero of the story here is the Lord. And all David was doing was going along with it. He knows what God's covenant promises are. And so God's covenant promises are he will keep his people. Why is this important? Because we don't want to read Paul's greeting and think the hero of that greeting is Paul and the little people who follow him. That's not the right way to read this greeting. The greeting of Paul is one man serving Jesus shoulder to shoulder with what we will discover is a bunch of other people serving Jesus. That's how we have to read it. Not that Paul is the hero with this flock of people scurrying about after him. It's Paul standing shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of other people all together following Jesus. Let's go back to Romans 16. Some of you are saying, I never left. Here we go. Romans 16. In the gospel, relationships and a culture in the gospel community of the church is defined as one person in need telling another person in need where to get help, and that person is Jesus. Since we're standing shoulder to shoulder pointing one another to Jesus, Jesus is always the hero of any gospel ministry in any gospel community. So let's hear some of the things that Paul had to say about the people he stood shoulder to shoulder with. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, 
a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So Phoebe here appears to be a businesswoman from the city of Centria. Centria is very near the city of Corinth and likely is where Paul is writing from to the Roman believers. It's very likely that Phoebe was carrying the letter of the book of Romans to the church in Rome. That's scary. There was a certain period of time where the only copy of the book of Romans was in Phoebe's hand. I'm glad she didn't lose it, right? I'm glad it wasn't a play. I'm glad she wasn't accosted by robbers. She's a businesswoman. She was probably traveling either with inventory or with cash to purchase inventory. Along with that, the only copy in existence of the book of Romans. Wow, that's amazing. So she's a businesswoman. In fact, she's even a financial supporter of Paul. That's what he says. She is a patron or a benefactor of of the Apostle Paul and likely many other ministers and uh, servants of the Lord. She's described as a servant of the church at Centria. That's a word that we often use of deacon or deaconess. She may have had an official post or office in the church, or maybe not. That word is used generically at times as well. But she was clearly someone who served uh, significantly in the body of Christ in Centria as well as in the church in Corinth. She's a co-laborer with Paul. And he sends to her a comment, with her a commendation to the church of Rome. This is one of my co-laborers. This is someone who is a partner with me in ministry. I count on her and I depend on her as we seek to see the gospel communicated uh, throughout the Roman world. Verses 3 and 4 and 5. Two more people. People we know quite a bit about. Greet Prissa and Aquila. Prissa is an abbreviation for Priscilla. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I gave thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Priscilla and Aquila are someone we know quite a bit about to some degree. They're noted in Acts chapter 18. If you want to turn there, you're welcome to. Paul says this in Acts 18, I shouldn't say Paul, Luke, says this in Acts 18, 1 through 4. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila and a native of Pontus recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. The reason they had come from Italy, it tells us, Claudius, he's the emperor of Rome, had commanded all the Jews out of Rome. So Priscilla and Aquila were kicked out of Rome along with all the other Jews, and so they had made their way to the city of Corinth, and Paul meets them there. Paul went and saw them, and because he was of the same trade as Priscilla and Aquila, he stayed with them, and they worked. They were tent makers by trade. So by day, they would make tents together to earn a living, and then Paul would also, as it say, reason in the synagogue every Sabbath and try to persuade Jews and Greeks of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul knows Priscilla and Aquila well. They're living together. They're working together. If he made a stitch wrong, Priscilla and Aquila would smack him upside the head. Do the stitching right, Paul. It's all about quality here. So they worked together, they lived together, they ministered uh, to the Lord together. Down in verse 18 of Acts 18, after a while, Paul 
stayed with them. And then he took leave of the brothers and he set sail for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila went with him. So they left Corinth together and went to Syria. At Centuria, he had his hair cut for he was under a vow. And then they came to Ephesus. Paul left Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews and then later left Ephesus. But Priscilla and Aquila stayed in Ephesus. A Jew named Apollos shows up in Ephesus, a native of Alexandria. He came there and he was an eloquent man, competent in scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he was fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, but he only knew of the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and they went. So here's Priscilla and Aquila. Paul meets them and they live together and they work together and they do the ministry of the gospel together and they travel together and then they part ways and they keep serving the Lord side by side. Whose ministry was more important, the Apostle Paul's or Priscilla and Aquila? Yes, they're standing shoulder to shoulder, working together, following the hero of the story. It's not Paul, it's not Priscilla, it's not Aquila. Who is it? It's Jesus. That's what gospel community is all about partnering with Paul in ministry. Now we discover here in Romans chapter 16 that at some point they were able to return to the city of Rome. And so he's sending to them, listen, greet Priscilla and Aquila. They're back home, so to speak. Likely they had a church meeting in their home. And he's saying, greet them. Verse four, they risked their necks for my life. You have any friends like that that would die for you? Or how about friends who have actually been willing to stick their neck out and take take it for you? That's what Paul was saying. Here's a we don't know where that happened. It could have been the city of Ephesus. Paul indicated in the city of Ephesus he had to fight wild beasts. There was a a great riot at one point in the city of Ephesus, and they were living there. It could have been that they spoke to someone or went into the crowd and got them. We don't know. We don't know when this occurred, but there were plenty of times where Paul had an opportunity for his life to be taken. There in one of those times. Priscilla and Aquila stepped in to save his very life. And he says, not only do I greet them and thank the Lord for their ministry, he says, in fact, all of the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for the ministry of God through Priscilla and Aquila. Want to keep going? We're going to anyway, whether you want to or not. Eponidas was the first convert to Christ in Asia, verse 5. So Paul remembers back finally to his first steps into Asia, his first ministry where he's working. And and he, at some point, we don't know, meets a guy named Eponidas. He shares the gospel with him. And and Eponidas says, I need Jesus. And Paul goes, this God is with me because this is the first person who has found Christ through the ministry of the gospel in Asia. And he's remembering fondly this moment with Eponidas. Look at Mary. Greet Mary who has worked hard for you. Here he, he connects the dots with a Mary. We don't know. There's lots of Marys in the Bible. And Mary was a somewhat common name. And he notes that this Mary is a diligent and hard worker, sweat of the brow, not just manual labor, not just working hard with her hands, but willing to stay up late and do the extra work needed to see the gospel proclaimed around the world. 
two other people, Andronicus and Junia, maybe husband and wife. These are kinsmen and fellow prisoners. How many times had Paul been in prison? He had probably started losing track. And here's a pair of people that he counts as those who have gone to jail with him. I mean, the people who are so sold out for Jesus, so committed to the gospel being proclaimed, that they will go to jail with Paul because of Jesus. What kind of a bond is there in gospel community where they've shared a jail cell or this, the experience of jail together? And he counts these as close kinsmen. They're fellow prisoners well-known to the apostles or among the apostles. That is, they are well-known among those who have been sent, among the 11, as well as those who have gone out proclaiming the gospel. Whose ministry is more important? Andronicus and Junia's ministry or the Apostle Paul's ministry? Shoulder to shoulder. It's shoulder to shoulder. That's what Paul is drawing out here. He's saying, the hero here is not David. The hero here is not Paul. The hero here is Jesus. Here's a group of people following Jesus in the same direction. And that's what he's emphasizing here. Yeah, we're going to move on. I don't like that. See, now you're curious, aren't you? <clears throat> People with Paul following Jesus, so they all have similar experiences. I would say this. This is sort of an inference, and you can agree with me or disagree with me. I always say you're welcome to agree with me, disagree with me. I, that's always an option for you because what do we say? You're free to be wrong. There's no problem with that. <laughs> These people were not impressed with Paul. These were people who, when Paul walks in the room, they didn't even, oh, Paul's here. The food's over there, Paul. These are people who were not excited about Paul showing up because Paul was somebody they co-labored with. These were people who, together with Paul, were excited about what Jesus had done. That's what they were excited about. People with Paul following Jesus. So the result is, because they're with Paul, following Jesus, pursuing gospel ministry, None of them are impressed with Paul. All of them are working because they have been changed by the resurrected Jesus. That's why they're so impassioned for the gospel. Not because Paul inspired them. Not because he was a good orator. Not because he uh, did something fantastic in their life. Jesus invaded each one of these individuals' lives. The result was they're pursuing Jesus together with Paul. So shoulder to shoulder in gospel ministry with one another. There should be a place every now and then where we recognize when we put people up on a pedestal, we look up to them. If it's not Jesus, take them down. That's it. But there's something in going on in the human heart. I always put it this way based on the Old Testament deal where uh, Israel appointed Saul as their king. We all want a king. We all want a hero. We all, we all want that person we can look up to and they can inspire us and challenge us. And that's all good and fun until what? Until they blow it until it turns out they're just a human. That's what we don't see going on here is people chasing after Paul. We see a group of people chasing after Jesus with Paul. And that's the appropriate framework of gospel kind of people, standing shoulder to shoulder with one another. So in the gospel, we work shoulder to shoulder together, but it doesn't mean everybody does the same thing. So if you will, turn with me over to Romans 12, 4 through 8. It may be up on the screens. Let me read this. Gospel kind of people working together. Romans 12, 
4 through 8. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So in gospel community, we work in harmony together. It doesn't mean we're all the same. It, it, it doesn't mean we all have the same gifting, but we all value of the, the work of God through the message of the gospel. And each of us use our gifts in accordance with what God is doing in our lives to see the ministry of the gospel done. And what we're going to see here for the remainder of these names that are listed in Romans 16 is a group of people that normally wouldn't come together. In this, this culture of the gospel, uh, people across economic and educational and ethnic and political lines are coming together to use their individual gifts with one goal, to see the gospel proclaimed, to see Jesus' name proclaimed into a world that needs to hear it. So let's look at these uh, individuals. We don't know a ton about these folks beginning in verse 8, but we know something from their names. Number one, we know there are Gentiles and Jews among these folks. A few of the names are Latin. We know there are very influential and wealthy people. We know there are also slaves. And we know there are also freedmen and freedwomen, which are people who used to be slaved and either earned their freedom through military service or they made enough money they were able to purchase their own freedom. So this is a a mixed bag of people across socioeconomic and ethnic lines, all coming together to use their gifts to make sure the right guy gets elected. I'm just making sure you're still awake. That's all I'm doing. I couldn't tell if you were still with me. All coming together to do what? Proclaim the gospel. Why? Because if everybody believes Jesus, the right guy will get elected, right? No. They live in Rome. They're not picking Claudius or Nero or whoever the next guy is. They're proclaiming Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is awesome. That's it. That's all they got. Jesus is risen. He's awesome. If I die, not a problem because I live forever. That's the whole thing. That's the whole agenda. And so they can come across all kinds of lines to come together and see the ministry of the gospel shared around the world. Let's read verses 8 and 9. Read Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord, and greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. These are Gentile freedmen or servants. We don't know very much about them at all, other than Paul says he loves them. They're beloved to him. Not only that, Ampliatus is a name that we found down in the catacombs. In all likelihood, that's that guy. It's about a mixed bag between scholars who have studied Romans 16. Yes, there are scholars who have studied Romans 16, okay? Guess the other jobs were taken. I don't know. About 50-50, half of them say, yeah, it's the guy. And the other half say, we don't know if it's the guy. So I'm going with it's the guy. So we know know very little about them, except these are people moved by the Christ, moved by the risen Christ, changed by the gospel. And now Paul counts them as beloved co-workers. He used used that word twice, once in verse 8. My beloved in the Lord. 
And then at the end of verse 9, my beloved stakies. This is a, a, a movement where, where there is an affection for one another, not merely because we have something in common, we root for the same football team or whatever it might be. It's you love Jesus, I love Jesus, and now my heart is connected to you in a unique way. That's where this relational connection uh, comes from. Verse 10, greet Apelles who is approved in Christ. It's such an interesting thing for him to say. He's approved in Christ. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, it says this. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So Paul is saying here, we have been entrusted with, with the message of the gospel, the mysteries of God, the message of the gospel. And our job now as stewards of the gospel is to be faithful to the job we've been given, to serve Christ in the gospel by doing our part with our gifting to proclaim the gospel. And he's saying, that stewardship is a responsibility that I want to be found faithful, that I've done my part, that I've worked with others and shoulder to shoulder with them. And I wasn't the one who slacked off. And what does he say about Apelles? He says, he didn't. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. He's a guy, he would say, I would stand next to him. I would stand next to that guy in the ministry of the gospel because he has been a faithful steward of the ministry of God in his life. Look at the rest of verse 10. We have some really interesting, influential people to talk about. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Who is Aristobulus? We're not sure, but we're pretty sure he's the famous one. He was the brother of Herod Agrippa I. This is a famous guy. He's not saying that Aristobulus was a believer. We don't know. We have no reason to believe that. But he does say, greet the family of Aristobulus. This would be the immediate relations as well as his household servants. So here's a, a guy who is uh, the brother of Herod Agrippa I, and among his family are those people who are faithful Christians. That might be a little scary. It's likely that's who we're talking about, because look who else he greets in verse 11. Greet my kinsman Herodian. So now he's, he's greeting these, these individuals who are related to or Jewish slaves of the Herods. He's saying, greet those who belong to these households. These are influential people in risky situations. And he says, I want to greet them and acknowledge that they are being faithful to the Lord in the ministry of the gospel. Another famous person is here. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. This was a, a famous guy who served Emperor Claudia. Claudius, I should say. So likely his family and his household servants, among them were people who had become Christians. And Paul is saying, greet these workers here in the city of Rome who are connected with this uh, influential person if he was still alive. At a certain point, he took his own life. So these are prominent Christians. So this is what's interesting. Throughout this greeting, you have servants and you have slaves and you have freedmen and you have Jews and you have Gentiles. And now you have in here prominent Christians, Christians in places of influence and places of power. And Paul is saying in each of these places, the ministry of the gospel has an opportunity for a foothold. All right, a few more names. Verse 12, greet these workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa, probably sisters. I don't know if they're twins. That would make sense, right? Their names sound a little bit similar. What's kind of interesting, one commentator noted that their names are names that are considered usually sort of 
dainty. I was trying to think of a dainty name. I couldn't, couldn't really think of one, so I don't know if we have a dainty name. Uh, but these names are normally associated with those of kind of dainty. They don't like to get their hands dirty, don't want to chip a nail, something like this. But look how he describes them. Look how he describes them. He says, greet these workers. And the word there is these laborers. So the ministry of the gospel in their lives was, was actually a contrast to what they were named. If you met them and they told you their name, they'd say, oh, these are very dainty, sort of prissy ladies. And, and then you look at how they work in the ministry of the gospel. Oh, they're not like their name at all. They've got sweat on their brow and dirt under their fingernails, and they're willing to go in and get after it in the ministry of the gospel in their, in their gifting. Tryphena and Tryphus, greet the beloved Persa who has worked hard in the Lord. I don't, again, we don't know what he was doing, but he was diligent about it. And there's a million things we could do in the, in the ministry of the gospel, but he was diligent and he worked hard and he worked long hours with sweat on his brow. Finally, verse 13, probably the most well-known of any of the people in this list, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Rufus is mentioned over in Mark 15, 21. They, the Roman soldiers, compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from, in from the country. Where's Cyrene? Modern-day Libya. So he was coming in from the country, and he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. And Simon of Cyrene was forced to carry his cross, and they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. So here we have Simon of Cyrene, Jesus' cross carrier, his son Rufus, recognized by Paul as chosen in the Lord. And more than that, I love this, greet also Rufus' mother who has been a mother to me as well. So Paul says to this uh, Cyrene, Libyan woman, where's, where's Simon at this point? Don't know. I got an idea though. He probably got his own cross or he met his in some other way or otherwise he'd likely be mentioned. He said, greet Rufus and greet his mother who has been a mother to me. So we have this relational connection. Paul is saying, I have... I've depended on these people. I have needed these folks in my life. I've needed their connection, not just in the gospel, but our relationships with one another. Okay, verses 14, 15, and 16, and then a couple of ideas to end with. I'm reading them all uh, so, you know, Todd doesn't feel like he's the only one who had to read them, you know, so. <laughs> Greetings, Syncritus, and Phlegon, and Hermes, and... Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. So here we probably either have a, a, a small group or a home group of the larger church of Rome. If they didn't have a larger meeting place, they would probably divide up into smaller groups and meet in individual homes. And, and here we have a group of people who get together and he's saying, greet this gathering of believers in uh, Rome. Greet Philegus and Julia, Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. So two more either home churches or smaller groups of the larger church in the church in Rome. And he wants to know, he knows the ministry of the gospel they are doing uh, in that city. We have already seen persecution break out in, in Rome. All the Jews had been kicked out already. And we know persecution is coming. And Paul here is connecting the dots with these believers and saying, we are in ministry together. We are working together. Gospel kind of people work shoulder to shoulder and they work 
together. All right, three ideas, and then we're going to close. Just sort of some observations coming out of this passage. Number one, the church is only a hierarchy in this way. There is Jesus, and then there is his people. There is Jesus, and there is his people. We, as a body of believers, are to work side by side, each one of us, with our particular gift, with our particular stewardship. There's no lording it over. What this is called is mutual dependency. The, the desire to together depend on one another as we follow after Jesus. If you need a hero to follow, if you need a king to follow, if you need a head honcho to follow, congratulations. We have one. His name is Jesus. If you need somebody else to follow, the gospel's not your thing. Because in the gospel, Jesus saves sinners and then calls that group of sinners his church and says, you all follow me. And you have the opportunity to make disciples from here to the end of the age. The church ought to only be a hierarchy in that there is Jesus and there is his people. You say, well, we have to make decisions somehow. Yeah, we do. It's hard. It's complicated. It's difficult. Isn't it? It's a lot easier if you just got one person. It's their job to make all the decisions. That's a lot. Oh, man, it's way easier. Because then we can sit back and say, well, I don't like that decision. And we can complain about it. No, not, not this group. <laughs> Wish we had two services. Then I could blame the other service for all the... It's all you. All right. Uh, secondly, we made note of this, but it's worth being reminded. The church is a place where people serve across all lines of normal division in culture. Slaves, freed, women, men, rich, poor educated, not educated, influential, not influential, wealthy, not wealthy. Everyone serves the risen Jesus. All of the normal dividing lines in normal cultural engagement are erased in the gospel. That takes tremendous effort. That takes intentional effort to recognize and see the normal dividing lines and say, those aren't dividing lines in this community anymore. And the church is a place where that is supposed to happen most uh, profoundly. Okay, last thing, and then we'll close with a song. Uh, This kind of relational closeness that we read about in Romans 16 is not something I think most of us are used to. One commentator or, or church observer said it this way, what we all are really looking for in a church is complete relational authenticity with total relational independence. We want a place where we can be totally known without actually having to rely on anybody. That doesn't work. The only play to have authentic, transparent relationships is to hang out with people you depend on and people who depend on you. And that takes the gospel, and it takes safety, which is accepting one another the way we are today, and it takes a whole bunch of time. Then we see that happen. And we're not used to that kind of relational closeness. But one thing we have to notice about Paul's ministry in Romans 16 is he counted it a strength to know he couldn't do it without these other people. He considered that his strength, that he mutually depended on others. That if he didn't depend on others, he was now weaker. I have a lame illustration for this. Are you ready for the engineers? You'll love it. Okay, so if you're a girder in a bridge, you have some strength. The way your strength works is you have to carry a certain amount of weight for what's driving over that bridge, right? 
But your strength is useless if you're not connected to the next girder on this side and that side. If you as a girder on a bridge decide, you know, I'm kind of the best girder on this, this bridge. You know, I, I could do so much better on my own. You can't carry anything on your own. Your strength is actually found in your connection with others. It doesn't mean you don't have any strength. It doesn't mean you're useless. It doesn't mean you don't bring anything to the table. What it is saying is the strength you have is determined by the connection you have with the people around you. That's precisely how the body of Christ is intended to work. But we have been taught as, as good Western Americans, good people get it done. And they get it done on our own. They don't need anybody holding them back. They don't need anybody they have to count on. Because guess what? When you count on people, what happens? Some of you have been burned. You count on people. The problem is they're terribly disappointing. I mean, not you guys. That's the problem. So what do we do? In gospel community, we have to come up with a way where when people mess up, it's okay. What could we do? Let me think. We could have a guy give us all the grace we could ever need. What if, even when people are disappointing, I have enough grace not to worry about it? What, what, if that, what, what if that were a case? What if I hung out with a group of people where when I blow it, I don't have to worry about being kicked out because there's enough grace? Wouldn't it be great? We should come up with that group. We should, we should make a club. Let's call it the church and have Jesus provide all the grace. That's the deal. Some of us, I, there's some people in here. I'm off script now, so I'm going to get in trouble. There's some people in here who I don't know what the grace of Jesus feels like. I've never experienced grace. The reason is because nobody knows you well enough to give, give you some. You've never had an opportunity to sit with a brother or sister in the Lord and tell them how badly you messed up and have them look at you and still receive and accept you. Because that's where it occurs. We experience the grace of Christ when we finally rest and rely on somebody and they show us the rest of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus, the grace of Jesus. Paul considered it his greatest strength that he depended profoundly on a huge group of people. When you read the book of Acts, you have to keep this entire list of people in mind. Paul is not out being a hero. He's just out relying on Jesus and the body of believers. We aren't used to this kind of closeness. We're not used to this kind of mutual dependency. But Paul saw it as a strength that everybody needs everybody. Gospel kind of people stand shoulder to shoulder and gospel kind of people work together. Why don't you stand up with me? We're going to pray and then close with a song. Jesus, we want to come before you now with our gratitude and thanks. We're grateful, God, that you have saved us. We're grateful, God, that you have shown us your grace. We're grateful, God, that your word tells us the truth. Many of us in this room, Lord, if we sat down to write a greeting to a list of people that we really count on, probably couldn't come up with more than a couple of names. And here Paul probably ran out of room to write the names of all the people he depended on and walked with in ministry of the gospel. God, would you move in our hearts that we would be motivated by the gospel to get to know people well enough that we, need to, that we would have to depend on them? Knowing we're going to be disappointed, knowing it's going to be difficult, knowing those lines of division exist. But Father, that's where our strength is. God, would you also move in us that we would, we would recognize that we stand shoulder to shoulder with one another in the ministry of the gospel. 
And, and some of us here, Lord, in that ministry, we're not, we're not doing our calling. We're doing lots of stuff. But the people next to us on each side, our right and our left, are exposed because we're doing something else. God, would you move in our hearts to recognize I need to, I need to know what you called me to do. I need to be faithful to that stewardship. God, we would pray that you would move in our hearts to rest in Jesus more and more and that we would find our hope in him and him alone. We, we would pray, God, that this body of believers, by your grace, you would make us effective in proclaiming the gospel into this community. In Jesus' name, amen.